0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Seattle, Washington, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Seattle, plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Seattle. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning and welcome everyone. I am your host, James Orr, and today we have a crazy amazing class. I, uh, I've i been doing some updating on the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet, and I am finally ready to release it to you and to give you access. And so um, after this class, I will go ahead and post up the newest version. I'll email out everybody who's on the list to get updates about the spreadsheet which is why we require you register in order to get the spreadsheet so that you can get updates in case there's errors and any updates on how to use it and things like that. So uh, we're going to go over the brand new spreadsheet, some of the new things that we've got here, and I think you're going to love it. I, You know, what's crazy to me is just how wrong I'm going to go out on a limb and say every other spreadsheet is because no one does this right. I don't know why people don't do this right, but if you're not taking into account reserves – when you analyze deals you're doing it wrong because you need to have reserves in order to invest in property so if you're not taking reserves into account and in like what your overall return on investment is then that's not correct you're you're basically lying you're saying that your return on your deal is higher than it really is because you would not be able to make that investment unless you had those reserves but i digress and if you're not taking into account, if you happen to be in a market where you have negative cash flow, if you're not taking into account that cumulative negative cash flow that you probably need to set aside for doing this, that is probably also incorrect. I'm less I'm less willing to go out in the limb for that one. Because I could see a case where you're like, you know, I'm just gonna pay for it out of what reserves. So yeah, maybe I guess, but I don't know. I think you need to set aside your cumulative negative cash flow. It is a much more conservative investment if you do it that way. So the new spreadsheet takes that into account. Plus, what I don't also see other people doing in their spreadsheets, I don't see them actually showing you like your returns on equity and specifically your return on your true net equity, the equity you would actually be able to pull out if you were, you know, going to go sell that property or refinance it or, you um, You know, Or do a 1031 exchange, which is really selling, just kind of deferring the taxes. Like like all those calculations that you're doing, if you're not looking at return on equity, I mean, after the first year, what does return on investment even mean? Because does it matter that 15 years ago, you bought the property with $5,000? Don't you really want to know what your return is today on the amount of equity you have in the deal that if you were to sell it, what you'd need to beat if you were going to go invest in something else? And then what the cost is to access that equity. I mean, it just it blows my mind. And then, of course, you know, some of the return quadrant things, I mean, breaking out the component parts of the return, you know, your cash flow, your appreciation, your debt pay down, your cash flow from depreciation, which is your tax benefits. And then because you do need to set aside those reserves, we really should take into account the return you earn on those reserves, whether you're sticking in the savings account at 1% or you're sticking it in something else and getting, you know, six, seven, eight, nine percent, whatever you're getting there. Okay. So Brand new spreadsheet, updated. I think you're gonna love it. So uh, a couple things here. So first of all, you can come in here and just type in whatever address you're doing here. So you know, type in the address of the property. That will just kind of do it. It's only used for you. It's just for you to remember what you did. Uh, I, another note here. Always start with a copy of your spreadsheet. Don't use the real one because you're gonna make modifications to this. And some things are going to get messed up. You're going to forget that you, you know, did an adjustment in the overrides tab and you're going to forget that you did that. So you want to go and start with a fresh copy every time and then go back to the original when you do that. So, or if you have a template, if you're like, hey, look, I know my taxes are always going to be, you know, 1%. So go ahead and put 1% in there and then save that as your template. And then always go back to the template that you've modified to kind of do it. Okay. That being said, that way you don't make any mistakes. So put the address in here. You're gonna put the uh, ARV. I know I'm gonna do a whole series on deal analysis. So I'm not gonna go and like actually analyze a deal and walk you through the deal analysis. We will do a lot of classes on those. I'm gonna do a class on how to analyze 20% down, 25% down, all cash, lease option, creative financing, nomad, house hacking, you know, um Burr strategy. You know, we'll do all of this type of deal analysis so that you understand how to analyze every single deal and then. Provided I can get to it, I do plan on allowing um, kind of a a explanation for every city. So basically any deal you have for any of the um, kind of modeling analysis that we've done for every city, you will be able to go and I will walk you through the deal analysis for every type of deal that we model in every city using that city specific numbers and basically showing you the charts for the deal analysis spreadsheet. It won't actually be the spreadsheet. It'll be like my version of the spreadsheet on a website. So that is coming, knock on wood that I have enough time to go do it, but uh, it is coming. That's what the uh, plan is right now. It's always been the plan. I mean, that's that's why we built it this way. Okay, seven so said So you put it in the ARV. It does take into account if you're buying properties at a discount. So if you do, you know, you bought the property for, you know, um, less than what the ARV is, it does adjust and show that you got this bonus return in uh, year one from appreciation like that. Basically, you you got uh forced appreciation by buying the property at a discount. And then it does also show that your return on uh, true net equity um, goes down after the first year because you got this massive return in year one from that bump. So I'm just going to put it back so that it's you can kind of see that. You put in your purchase price, whatever that's going to be. Uh, you put it in seller concessions, whatever you negotiate with the seller to get them to contribute towards your closing costs, you can do that. That counts as a credit towards you. And then your down payment amount, putting 20% down or 5% down or 25% down. In this case, we'll use 25. Uh, your closing costs, which we'll calculate here, and then show like you know how much the closing costs actually are in dollars, so use the percentage. And then rent-ready costs. This is how much money you need to put into the deal to get the deal ready to rent. So if you go buy a property and on the inspection report, it's got a whole bunch of repairs listed that you need to go do before the property is ready to have a tenant in there and it's going to cost you $7,000. You put $7,000 in there. And then this will automatically take that into account. It includes it as part of the investment you need to make in order to get the deal in order to get the deal ready to go. So, you know, put whatever numbers you want in there and it will do the adjustment and do some calculations for you based on that. Then, this cumulative negative cash flow field is brand new. The idea being this, if you're going to buy a property, uh, uh, let me just back up. In our current marketplace, the last few years, prices have been going crazy up, and interest rates have gone up a ridiculous amount. But even though rents have increased, they haven't quite increased enough to counteract the significant increase in prices and the significant increase in interest rates. So in some markets, in many markets, it is, I'll just say this, it is harder than ever to get good cash flow in every market, okay? Some markets, you're going to have negative cash flow. Especially if you put down a very small amount, if you're going to go do like house hacking, put three and a half percent down. Um, you know, it's it's very likely with the interest rates where they are that you're going to have some negative cash flow on that. And what negative cash flow really is is deferred down payment. Because if you had put more down, if you had put hundred percent down, you wouldn't have negative cash flow, right? If you put fifty percent down, you probably wouldn't have negative cash flow. But we're choosing. After we do our analysis, we're looking at the number, and saying, "Look, I I'm choosing to put less down. I'm choosing to put." 3.5% down or 5% down or whatever down. And so you're choosing to have some negative cash flow. And if you choose to have negative cash flow, we need to take that into account in our deal analysis. And the way that we take that into account is we look at how much negative cash flow we're going to have and for how long. And so what the what the software does, if we're going to go to the overrides tab and just show you how this works, let me go and uh let me make this negative cash flow so we can say, so let's say rent on this is, I don't know, 3,300 a month. Yeah, negative cash flow, it's, it's a little bit negative there. Let's do 3,100, see what it is. All right, so now we've got negative $106 a month, negative cash flow. So let's see how this works. So I'm going to go to the overrides tab. And then the overrides tab, I'm going to go find the spot for cash flow, which is right here. And it's going to show you that cash flow for the year was negative $2,238. So we show how much negative cash flow was in the first year. So in this particular property, because we analyzed the deal, it shows you that the negative cash flow was 2238 negative. But because rents went up, a little bit in year two. We're assuming rents are slowly creeping up each year. You know, rents are increasing. In year two, we're estimating negative cash flow to be only fifteen hundred and twenty-four dollars. And in year three, because rents went up a little bit, and even though you know the taxes and insurance and maintenance and all that other stuff increased, it didn't increase enough because our, our payment is, is largely a large percentage of that amount. So negative cash flow in year three is only seven hundred ninety dollars for the year. And negative cash flow in year four is only negative three thirty-three dollars for the year. Okay. But what we do now is now we take the cumulative amount. We add up. You know, the first year was negative $2,238. The second year was $1,524. So the total amount cumulative so far, the the maximum amount we had to kind of eat in negative cash flow was negative $3,762 plus another $790 in negative cash flow, put you at $4552 plus another $33 is $4,585. But since negative cash flow is all zero from then on out, We can look at that and we can look at this chart and see this little visual shows you like all the way to the end. You can see that there's no more negative cash flow because, you know, the property is getting better as we do that. So the maximum amount of negative cash flow we have is this $4,585. Well, if we go back to this main tab over here, whoops, looks like I got an error. I will fix that. There we go. So now it shows you the, the the maximum amount of cumulative negative cash flow that you have on the property, and so it shows you how much you need to have set aside there. So now it says, "Look, you need this amount down, hundred ten thousand dollars. You need this amount in closing costs, four thousand eight hundred forty dollars. You need this amount in order to make the property ready to rent, and we're going to need four thousand five hundred eighty five dollars set aside to get us through the entire estimated amount of negative cash flow we have in the property for the duration." And that's going to count all as how much we need in order to do the deal, the total amount we had to invest, which is now $119,425. So now whenever we do a calculation for return on investment, how much we had to put into the deal, we do it based on everything, the total down payment, the closing costs, the rent-ready costs in order to make the property ready to go, and any cumulative negative cash flow over that entire time that we're likely to have negative cash flow on this property. So now the calculations for return on investment are correct. Before, they were not, okay? Now, mortgage amount, does that calculation put in your interest rates? Loan term, you put it in how long it is. Private mortgage insurance, in this case, we're putting 25% down. So we don't have any private mortgage insurance. But if you did, if you're putting 15% down, you put that in here. Uh, at what point do we drop the PMI off? So it'll calculate it only until you get to that point for loan to value, and then it'll drop it off. How much rent you're getting on the property? Vacancy, property taxes, calculates those, insurance, HOA, utilities, put all that in there, maintenance on the property, setting that aside. If you're going to go calculate a different dollar amount for capital expenses, you could set that aside here. Use the capital expenses spreadsheet that we have, totally separate spreadsheet for calculating how much you need in CapEx in order to do that, how much you're paying in property management, if you're doing that at all, unless you're doing it yourself. Uh, Land value and the type of property. So land value is going to be used to calculate your depreciation. The uh, type of property for commercial or residential, either do a C or an R and it does the adjustment for you there. And then estimate your effective income tax rate so that we can calculate what benefit you're going to get from that depreciation. And then we'll be able to do that calculation correctly. Okay. So you do all that. And then we've got these nine kind of key areas to look at to determine the deal. And they are in somewhat order of importance or order of timing. It's sort of a combination of order importance order of timing. So the first one we got up here is your monthly cash flow in the first year. So you can see because we dropped the rent on this property in order to show the negative cash flow, we've got negative $186 a month in cash flow. So this is a property that has negative cash flow, but we're setting aside all that negative cash flow so that we don't have to stress about it. That's why it makes it more conservative. So we've got our reserves, plus we got this negative cash flow, okay? So we've got this Monthly cash flow amount here, negative $186, but we're getting $227 from that depreciation benefit, the cash flow from depreciation, the tax benefits of owning that rental property. So we're getting money back either monthly or, or, you know, with every paycheck, we're not paying in to the tax system because we know we're going to get a certain amount of money back, or at the end of the year, we're going to get a big chunk back to offset this whole thing, okay? You look at it either way, but really, you're saving that amount of money in taxes, so you're not having to do it. So in this particular case, because you have negative $186 in cash flow, but positive $227 in cash flow from depreciation, your total true cash flow, when we add those two together, is still positive. So, this particular property has a positive cash flow, a positive true cash flow, I should say, of $40 a month. So, it's not technically negative when you take into account the tax benefits you're getting on the property and the regular cash flow. Now, if you had regular, if you had you know, your normal cash flow, and it was you know thirty six hundred dollars, and you know you're getting two hundred dollars a month in cash flow plus two twenty seven. It adds up both of them and shows you your total true cash flow is four hundred twenty eight dollars a month. Okay, but in this case, we'll just kind of keep it back at this negative number so I can show you how this works. Okay, so you can look at that in a glance and see what your regular cash flow is, plus your cash flow from depreciation is. You see those separately, and it sums them up for you and shows you that it's now forty dollars between the both of them and that's like one of the most important things i think most people are looking at is their cash flow on the property. The next most important thing i think a lot of people are looking at is going to be like their return on investment numbers, okay? So we want to know what your return is in year 1 in dollars. So it shows you $13,200 from appreciation. That's what we're estimating the property value to go up. We've got this negative $2,238 in cash flow. That's the little green bar and it's negative because we have that, you know, $3100 a month in rent. And then we've got this debt pay down. We're paying down $3,434 on the loan, plus we're getting $2,720 from cash flow from depreciation. So you add all of those up and you can see that the overall return in dollars in year one from holding this investment is $17,116. So it shows you how much you made in dollars on your investment. Now you're like, okay, that's interesting. So I could see the dollars, but I wanna know like, what the return is on how much I had to invest in the deal. So we'd have the $17,116. If we divide that by our total invested, this $119,425, which includes the down payment, your closing costs, any rent-ready costs, and that cumulative negative cash flow, now we can see that it's 14.33%. Because over here, it shows you your return on investment in year one. That thing. So it shows you what percentage each of these component is. So you're getting 1.87% on cash flow. You're getting 11.05% on appreciation. You're getting 2.88% from debt pay down and 2.28% from cash flow from depreciation, your tax benefits. You add all those up, it's 1433. So now we can see at a glance cash flow, true cash flow, the return you earn in dollars in year one. And the return on investment in year one, 14.33 is the total. And we could see it broken out into all the different component parts. That's why this is powerful just to see it all at a glance like this. Now, if you decide, look, I'm a, I'm a six month type of reserve sort of guy or gal, and I want to invest in properties. This RIDQ plus R6 says my return in dollars quadrants, because it shows you the four areas of return, plus reserves for six months, R6. Okay, so now it shows you how much you earned on or having reserves set aside, earning 1%. So you had you know, six months of reserves in this property. So you earned an extra $383 in reserves. But now that we're taking into account the appreciation, the cash flow, the debt pay down, the cash flow from depreciation, and the reserves, we now earn $17,499 in that property. A little bit more than if we didn't take into account reserves. However, now that we're taking into account reserves, we need to include reserves in the denominator when we calculate our return as well, because this one did not. This one just included total cost of close. So this one shows you that when you take into account setting aside six months of reserves as well, your return is, even though you had some return from the return on the reserves itself, is 12.63%. And we'll go into it in a lot of more detail when we do actual deal analysis. I'm just showing you where this stuff is. So this is $17,499 which includes the, the amount you earned on six months of reserves earning 1%. And then this is 12.63, which is your return when you set aside six months of reserves, which is more truthful. Giving people this return is lying, right? Because you're not taking into account the reserves you're giving on your properties. The reserves you you need to set aside in order to buy your properties, Okay. So now we know that if we actually put aside six months of reserves, and even if we earned 1% on those reserves, you know, you have in the savings account, which I think is prudent for if you have a small amount of reserves, then 12.63% is your overall return, including the return you earned on reserves and taking into account that you had to have the reserves in order to get this return to begin with. So this tells you your overall return. Now, if you're a person who says, look, I'd like to have more reserves, let's call it 12 months, a full year of reserves but I'm going to take a good portion of that and I'm going to have that invested in something else, something that gets a higher return than just savings at 1%. So we do this one, RIDQ plus R12. R12 is 12 months of reserves, but now we're earning 7 or 8%. I think it's 8% on our reserve number, okay? So now on reserves, we earned $3,066 for the year. So the total amount we earned is $20,182. Now, a couple of things to point out. Appreciation is the same for all three of these. Cash flow is the same for all three of these. Debt pay down is the same for all three of these. Cash flow from depreciation is the same for all three of these. What's different? This one doesn't have any reserves. This one we earned 1% on setting aside six months of reserves in a savings account. And this one is we're earning 8% on setting aside 12 months of reserves in mostly the stock market. Okay, that's the difference in dollar amounts. Now, in this one, we're looking at all the returns divided by just this total amount to close. And this one we're looking at the all the uh, all the returns divided by the total cost to close plus 6 months of reserves and this one we're looking at all the returns including the return from reserves divided by 12 months of reserves plus this total cost to close so this shows you your return and you can see that look if you were going to ignore reserves if you were going to like you know lie at a cocktail party to talk about how good your returns are this one is the one you use because that's the one everyone else is using Right? It's everyone else is incorrect. But if you actually go and you set aside 6 months of reserves, this is really what you're earning, 12.63. And if you set aside 12 months of reserves and you're getting, you know, 8% return on the reserve dollar amount, then you're getting 12.79 total. Okay? And that's why this is important. And that's usually what we look at in order to look at a deal. Now some people are like, look, I that's great. That's all year one stuff. And a lot of returns in year one and the return on investment in year one and my cash flow in year one. But what about like your overall return, you know, 5 years from now if I sold the property? That's this, the returns if sold. So you can look at whatever year you want in the future and you could see either what the annualized return is or which is simple return or the compounding annual return is, what the compounding rate of return would be on your money. Or if you're an internal rate of return person, we show you that as well. And you could see all three different lines and you could jump out and say, "Okay, year 10 looks like my kind of like annualized return is, you know, 16% or so. And you can go look at the numbers if you want to. You can go look at the overrides tab and see all these. You can see the return numbers somewhere. There you go. Here's the returns. Before and after taxes. So you can go look at those if you want to. Okay or just kind of estimate it from the chart. You can see how it's doing, right? So this is if you want to look at those different terms. You want to see the internal rate of return? That's in year 15. That's probably around 11%. So you got 11% annualized internal rate of return by buying this property. If you sold it and you paid all the expenses of sale, it does take into account the expenses of a sale. And you can adjust what those are in overrides. Okay, so you can adjust what your expenses of sale are and have it be. And in some cases... You may want to say, hey, look, my, my costs of sale are different at different periods of my life because my tax rate's different or, you know, I'm a real estate agent, so I want to have a real estate commission here. But if I go beyond this point, I'm turning my license, and so I don't have that anymore. You can do all that because we have the ability to override in any year, almost any number. That's what's amazing about the overrides, okay? So, shows you returns of sold. Then you're like, hey, look, you know, James, I know you're doing like the same cash on cash return on investment. I get it, but I'm a cap rate person. You know, I like I like cap rate. Okay, fine. Here's your cap rate numbers. Cap rate for the first five years shows you right on the homepage in the middle, right front and center. Now it shows you your cash on cash number, and then it shows you your cap rate. Cap rate is your return if you own the property free and clear, if you didn't have a mortgage on it. it shows you what your return is, your cash your cash return, cash flow return, if you did not have a mortgage on the property. Okay. And if we add whatever this is, 3600 here, you can see the cash on cash return shows positive now. And you can see how it changes over time. Okay. Put it back to 3100 just so we can see that. All right. Now, once you get past year one, does it matter that you put $14 into the deal? No, now we're really concerned about, you know, what is the return I'm earning on the equity I have in the deal? Because what we want to say is, look, I have this property. And what if I took the money I have in the deal and I wanted to go take that and invest somewhere else? Could I go take that money and invest somewhere else? And if so, what am I currently earning on that money that I would walk away with that I could go invest in somewhere else? That way I can compare it to what I would invest in. If I'm going to take this equity out of my deal and get 11% return, well, what am I earning on that amount of money in the deal right now? What is the return I'm earning on that money that I would walk away with? Because that's what I need to compare it to so that if I took the money and invested in somewhere else, I could compare those appropriately. And so now what we're looking at is your return on equity. And specifically, not just the return on equity, which I think is wrong, right? Like, I like the idea of someone, you know, okay, look, if you're not going to do look at return on equity at all, that's like one level of wrong. If you say, look, I understand what you're saying, and I really should be looking at my return on how much equity I have, that's a step in the right direction. But it's still not right. And I still see people doing this. I still see people doing, like, looking at the return on equity, like, that's a real number. It's not a real number because you don't really have that equity. In order to access that equity, you got to do something. You got to either refinance the property or you got to sell it. I mean, those are how, that's how you get at equity. So you need to take into account, what does it cost me to get at that equity? If you're not taking that into account, then you're fooling yourself because that's not a real number. And I'll show you here in a second that that's not a real number. It's a significant cost to get at this equity, okay? So this shows you, though, the return you're earning on that true net equity. Your true net equity is your equity after you subtract out closing costs, real estate commissions, um, capital gains taxes, and depreciation recapture tax. All the expenses you have of selling a property and getting out of the deal. That's what true net equity is. So this shows you now your returns on these four different areas, plus your return on your total return. So, the green line, everything matches, green is always cash flow. Your green line is going to be your cash flow return. Starts off negative in this case and kind of grows up here so that, you know, your return on equity over time eventually is, you know, pushing 4% or so. Okay? That's sort of like your cap rate over time. That approaches cap rate, right? Uh, debt pay down return starts up here, kind of drops down. It kind of continues on, drops down a little bit. Appreciation return shows you what that looks like over time. And then your cash flow from depreciation number looks like that is. When you sum all of them up, it's this dotted line. So right now, when we first got the deal in year one, it looks like your overall return on true net equity is just below 20%. You know, probably 19.12 looks like. And then your return as you get into year 10 or so, I don't know, it's probably in this ballpark of, Whatever that is, 15%. So your, your return on true net equity is 15% there. So you can see how this changes over time. And of course, if you want to go look at the overrides, you can look at your return on true net equity right here, return on true net equity quadrants. So it shows you each year's numbers and breaks them down for you. So you want to go look at year 16. Okay, year 16, you're getting 6.25% from appreciation, 3.35 from cash flow, 2.92 from debt pay down and uh, 0.83 from cash flow from depreciation for a total return on true net equity of 13.35, okay? All right, so you can see the true net equity numbers and how that works out over time. Typically, your return on true net equity drops off on a finance property, it tends to decline over time, okay? Now, as I told you before, these are like in order of what I think are probably like most important or over time. So when you're buying a property, you're tending to look at these, maybe these, this becomes less important when you're initially buying. Some people might glance at it, but this is more like a, hey, how does my property perform over time as I look at this? And that's why it's there. Now, annual key metrics. Some people like, they're like, hey, look, I really want to know what my gross potential income on a property is. I really want to know what my gross operating income is on a property. I really want to know what my operating expenses are or my NOI, my net operating income. Okay, fine. Here they are, right here for year one. If you want to see what they are uh, for you know, other times, that's all right here. So you can look at the overrides and see it at any different time. Here's your net operating income numbers going all the way across. Here's your operating expenses. Here's your uh, gross operating income, your gross potential income. You can see all those for any year if you want to see it. And you can override them. One of the nice things about this spreadsheet, which I probably didn't mention, is this allows you to track your investment, not just when you buy, which is what most spreadsheets do, but you can go in here and using the overrides, you could say, well, I expected my cash flow to be this near one, but it ended up being this. And if you change your numbers in the overrides for what your cash flow actually was or what your appreciation actually was or what your, you know, CapEx was or any of these numbers, it then updates the spreadsheet so that you could use this to track your performance over time, not just when you buy. All right. All right. So it shows you your annual key metrics if you want to look at those. And then if you want to see your non-loan expenses, how much are you spending on vacancy? How much are you spending on property taxes? How much are you spending on insurance? How much you spend on HOA? How much you spend on maintenance? You know, all these different numbers here, you could see those at a glance if you're concerned about those. And it shows you year one numbers for that, the annual numbers there. Okay. So those are sort of like, I don't know, what I would call less important metrics for most people. But if you want to see them, Not only are they available in the chart, they're also available in overrides, okay? Now, this is arguably, in my opinion, one of the most important things to look at next, yet no one has it in their spreadsheet. I don't know why, it it blows my mind. But really, don't you wanna know how much equity, specifically true net equity you have in your property or cash out refi equity you have in your property at any given time in a property like you want to see that, right? And how much does it cost you to access that? Well, this is this. So the, the the dark lines that are kind of increasing over time, that's your your true net equity and your cash out refi equity. The really dark one is how much money you have and true net equity. The amount of money you would walk away with if you sold the property and you had to pay closing costs, real estate commissions, which can be zero. You can put a, you can override that number. Um, your capital gains tax rate and your depreciation recapture rate. So you want to go in your overrides if you're like, hey, look, my real estate commission we assume six percent, but you're like, hey, look, I wanna, I only wanna spend three percent on that. Okay, great. You put in your override and it actually does the right numbers, redoes your calculations for all those true net equity calculations. You say, look, I, um, my closing cost, you have estimated one percent here. No, my closing costs in my market are two percent. Great, just them. What about closing cost dollar? You're like, hey, it's, it's not really a percentage. It's more like five thousand dollars. Okay, put in five thousand dollars. Or your real estate commission dollar amount. You want to change that? Or you want to say, um, you know, my depreciation recapture tax rate, it's not 25%. I make less than that, so I'll put in my number. Or my uh, capital gains tax rate, it's not 15%. I'm in that really low tax bracket, it's zero for me. At least for the first few years, put in zero for a few years, then I put it back up to 15. You can adjust all that, and it will do the calculations, and update all the charts correctly for you, okay? So this shows you how much true net equity you have. It's this dark line. So, you know, by year 10 or so, you've got about $200,000 in change in true net equity. What about if you wanted to do a cash out refi? Well, that's different, right? Because the cost to get at the money is different. And the amount of money you'd be able to get because you can only go to 75% loan to value is different. So your amount for your cash out refi is probably around, I don't know, 170,000. And you could go look at the overrides and see the exact numbers, right? And you could also say, look, I could do, I don't do 75% loan to value for cash out refi. I got a guy that'll go to 82%, Great, Adjust the 82% right here. We have an adjustment for that. It's an override. So go ahead and do it. Or my cost to get out my my refi, it's not 1.5% in order to do that refinance loan. It's only 500 bucks. Okay, fine. 500 bucks. Done. Just adjust that. And it does it for you, okay? So this allows you to do that. Now, these dotted lines, they show you what percentage of the money you're taking out were expenses to get at that money. It costs you money to do a sale. It costs you money to do a refi. So how much did it cost you as a percentage of the amount of money you're taking out? Right, because I want to know, look, how expensive is this money to get at? And so these numbers show you how expensive it was. This like dotted line here shows you that, uh, you're looking at this other scale, about 40% of the money that I would get out, were taking up, we're spent in order to get out that money. That's really expensive money. It costs you 40% of the equity you're getting out. 40% of the money that you would have in hand, that's what it costs you to get at that. And it actually goes up over time in the first, I don't know, eight years or so. Then it starts declining a little bit. But even by year 20, it's still over 40. Costs you 40% to get at that money. And you're like, okay, I'm going to do a 1031 exchange. Great, go and do the overrides and adjust for a 1031 exchange. Say, I don't have a real estate commission. Well, you probably do. I don't have closing costs, which you probably do. Okay, I'm not going to have to pay capital gains. Instead, I'm going to have to pay you know eighteen hundred or uh, eight hundred dollars for a ten thirty one exchange intermediary. Okay, put those numbers in. I'm not going to have depreciation recapture now. Sure, but you're cooking, you're kicking the can down the road too. And so even though your costs may go down, you still have that later on. Now this one is the dotted the like darker dotted line is your cash your cost to access cash out refi equity. Well, that starts at almost forty percent too, but that drops off really quickly. So that by year 10, it's only about, I don't know, 5% of the money that you're pulling out is what it costs you. So it's calculating what percentage of the money you're pulling out in order to access that equity. So this is your equities and the cost to access, and specifically your true net equity and your cash out refi equity. Honestly, it's probably like a, a true net cash out refi equity because we're looking at the cost there, okay? Now you may say to me, James, you know, but if I'm doing a refi, um, I'm actually just borrowing that money. Sure, yeah, I, I agree. You're borrowing the money, but it is—it's still a cost. You're borrowing it and you're paying interest on it now. Okay, so this is the new spreadsheet. Um, some really cool stuff in here. Oh, by the way, you can export it if you happen to have a real estate financial planner account. You just click this button right here, and it actually transfers the numbers you entered in here. To the real estate financial planner, so that you can add this property to your portfolio analysis tool if you happen to have an account on real estate financial plan, real estate financial planner. Okay, so that's the cool part about this. All right, I think I covered what I hope to cover, just kind of going over the new stuff, the existing stuff that's still amazing, and just to show you that this is the way you should analyze deals. And we're gonna go over examples, I'll go over how to analyze every type of deal. Using the spreadsheet, I'll show you all the other stuff. We already have a class on where do you get each one of these numbers from? Like, where do you get seller concessions from? Where do you get the mortgage interest rates from? Where do you get the vacancy rate from? Where do you get the property insurance rate? Like, where do you get each one of these numbers? I have a class where we look at each input and I tell you where to get it from and what's reasonable for those numbers in a lot of cases. All right. Already have a class on that. Go watch it it's on the website, um, it's on the podcast. But now, it's got these new adjustments here to kind of do this. Um, wh- one of the adjustments I made, by the way, is I've removed some color. Color to me has meaning. And so in the first version of the spreadsheet, I got carried away. I was like, oh, this is pretty. Uh, let's make these blue. <laughs> but that didn't mean anything. The, the fact that they were blue didn't have any meaning. Now, all the colors mean something, right? The, all the inputs are this manila folder color, okay? All the cash flows are green. All the cash flow from depreciation are yellow. Um, all of the appreciation is blue all of the debt pay down is red and then all the other black and white ones are just black and white right and so color means something if something is colored oh man I, i'm like i'm looking at things like this export to rafe button i should probably make that gray maybe i'll make it black right because color should mean something and so we should all do that and maybe i should make this gray <laughs> i don't know but the color I like and the charts color means stuff All right. And then over here, I tried to add some flash of color if you just show you like size of values. And if it's, you know, part of the quadrants, it's still going to be that blue, green, red, yellow color. So you can see those at a glance as to which ones we're talking about and how all those work. And because in the previous spreadsheet, I tried to compress it and do like years one through five, then year 10, then year 15, year 20. But I realized that, you know, because the spreadsheet was locked down to protect you from messing up formulas, that you couldn't access year 12 easily. So now it's all open, which means that it just goes wide, right? So now you can go and keep track of your deal for 40 years. You have access to all that. All right. That's all I got. I hope you enjoyed the new updated spreadsheet. I know I certainly do. I'm really excited to teach these classes. We're planning on doing, as of right now, subject to change. We're planning on doing uh, one new deal analysis class per week. And then uh, for the podcast... Podcast usually gets published. I think we're out. The class I recorded yesterday got published, um, got queued up to be published in the podcast um, in November. So we are, it's May 3rd right now. Um, So November is what? Six months out. So we're currently six months ahead on what the podcast gets. Um, All the subset guys get access to it immediately. But the uh, podcast stuff is um, is delayed by about six months now. And it will continue to delay because we publish the podcast once a week. We, we do the classes daily. So every week of content that is live, the uh, podcast guys, that's a month, you know, approximately, you know, five days, five weeks, you know, somewhere around there, uh, four to five weeks. So you get an idea. So uh, i trying to get to be a year ahead on the podcast, and then I'll evaluate what I'm going to do at that point. All right. That's all I got. Super excited for you guys. I will get the new version of the spreadsheet um, out to you, but I hope you enjoy it. Hope you like the new spreadsheet and we will do deal analysis and I'll cover a whole bunch of stuff for you. Thanks so much for coming on. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up, and rents up, but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates. Cash flow on rental properties in Seattle is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary 88 strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals. See the show notes for a link to schedule your call and improve your cash flow today. If you're a real estate agent, lender, or professional in Seattle that wants to help our real estate investor listeners, consider reaching out to learn about collaboration opportunities with this podcast. We'd love to add more value to our listeners by having you assist our investors buy, sell, and finance their real estate investments. See the show notes to schedule a call to discuss collaboration opportunities,